Hi there, welcome back to Sunday School. I'm Mike Stedham. So, what are you waiting for? This Sunday marks the beginning of the Advent season, and Advent, as you probably know, means a time of waiting. So what are we really waiting for? Well, as children, as we look forward to the Christmas holiday, one of the things we were waiting for was waiting to get out of school. We used to have to wait until only about a week or so before Christmas to get out of school. Uh, the holidays now seem to last a lot longer. We get out earlier, which is actually a good thing. The other thing, of course, we're waiting for are our gifts. And that was the toughest part of the waiting season for most of us, was waiting to see what Santa Claus was going to bring us. Uh, as we grew older and we got into the meaning of the season for church, we learned that the Advent season is the time that we celebrate the waiting for the greatest gift of all, and that's the incarnation of the Christ. That's the gift that God has promised to God's people. And each year we celebrate the, the Sundays before Christmas as our Advent time. So today we're going to begin a series of lessons looking at the Advent season and what we're actually waiting for as we talk about Advent. And we're not going to start this time in the book of Luke, where we often do, but we're going to go a lot farther back. In fact, we're going to look at a couple of scriptures from the Hebrew Bible. And we're going to use those to begin our study of what Advent meant. And of course, when we think about Advent, we think about the birth of Christ. We talk about the incarnation, literally the Spirit of God coming into the world of the flesh that Jesus is God incarnate, God the Word put into flesh. Well, what does it mean to be made into flesh? Well, we're going to go all the way back to the first chapter of Genesis, and we're only going to look at um, one verse here in the first chapter of Genesis to remind ourselves of the creation of the flesh, of human beings. We're in the first chapter of Genesis, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we begin by talking about the creation uh, of human beings, that we are made in God's image. Now, uh, theologians have argued for years about what that actually means. Does that mean that God has a face like ours, two hands, two feet? Um, is that the image, the physical image of God? Or is this more of a spiritual idea? That there's something about us that is related to or comes from the nature of God. And a lot of people look upon that as being our ability of self-determination, that we have free will. This is what God has given us, a self-awareness that the other creatures that God came up with don't have this. So that's the first idea, that we are created in the image of God, that we have something inside of us that is already part and parcel of what God's Spirit had. So we, we have this uh, at the beginning. Now we're going to go to the 139th Psalm. Now, very poetically, the writer of the book of Psalms is talking about his relationship with God. And out through, throughout the Hebrew Bible, throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, a God who is distant, who is all-powerful, but also who's 
really quite scary. Uh, last week we had a passage from the book of Revelation where we have this image of God's throne room. And I mentioned that a lot of the images that we use in the book of Revelation uh, to imagine what God's throne room would look like, actually a lot of those come from the Hebrew Bible, the books of Ezekiel, Daniel, the apocryphal literature, paint a very scary, very distant picture of God. And throughout the Hebrew Bible, when people come in contact with God, there are a couple of rules. One of the rules is you don't look at God and live, because God is so holy, so powerful, that his very appearance is fatal to humans. Uh, so we have that image of God contrasted with the God in the book of Genesis. We just talked about how humans are created in the image of God. And remember, Adam and Eve, when they were in paradise, paradise wasn't just a nice garden. It wasn't just the earthly part of it that made it paradise. The real thing that made paradise into paradise was the fact that they had daily communion, daily talks with God, walks with God. And they were in this relationship with God that is what we still consider to be the ideal. And the book of Psalms, the, the poet here, and this is a very poetical verse that we're going to look at today, uh, has a very definite image that he uses to talk about the intimate relationship that people are allowed to have with God. In contrast to this idea of God on the top of the mountain, God who speaks to us in thunder, uh, the God who is so terrible that we cannot look upon him and live. And yet the writer of Psalms has a very different view of the intimate relationship. And this also goes back to the creation, to the incarnation of the Spirit. And we're going to be in the 139th Psalm today. And we're going to begin reading in verse 13. Before these verses that we're going to look at today, the psalmist has talked about how God is always present with him, that, that he cannot escape from God, he can't hide from God, and that no matter how bad his life may seem to be, God is going to be there for him. But what about this relationship? We're going to begin reading in verse 13. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Now imagine somebody who really, really knows you. Now, many of us have friends, relatives, uh, people that can finish our sentences as we're talking to them. If we start to tell them a story, they already know the end of the story when we begin it. Uh, because they know us that well. They know how our minds work. They know what we want. And it's, it's wonderful to have those kind of intimate relationships with our friends and our family. Well, the psalmist imagines that this is the kind of relationship he has with God, and it's because God created him. God knows everything about him. And this is one of those passages that, of course, we look for today to try to get a lot of doctrinal ideas. But really, Sometimes we miss the poetry. We miss the beauty of the language that the writer of the Psalms uses to describe this intimacy that God was there and creating him fearfully and wonderfully. And when we consider the gift of human life, when we consider being created in God's image, that really says a lot about who we are. It says a lot about our potential. 
we have the potential to serve God. We have the potential to do the right thing. And the psalmist recognizes that and says that he is fearfully, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And then in verse 15, he continues with that same theme. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. So again, this intimacy, this very close relationship that the psalmist imagines that he has with God is symbolic of this kind of God who cares about us, not just a God who creates us and then sends us out into the world hoping the best for us and is busy doing something else uh, while we're struggling with, with the various uh, problems and trials of life, but knows us so well that God knows the kind of trouble we're going to get into. God knows the kinds of things that we're going to do, and yes, can probably even finish our sentences for us. That's the kind of intimate feeling that the psalmist has here. All the days ordained for me are written in your book before one of them came to be. And once again, as I say, uh, theologians have argued about the idea of predetermination, predestination, that uh, God has already put it all in plan. That would seem to run quite counter to the idea of free will, that really the gift that God gave us is the ability to go into new situations, to, to face the things, and then to deal with them either the way that we should, following the teachings and the precepts that we receive through our religious training, or dealing with them in a selfish and an evil way and, and not doing the things that God wants us to do. So uh, you can argue about this, but I think this is more the kind of foreknowledge or predestination that we have about the people around us. Uh, certainly, the people who are closest to us, we can usually predict with a pretty good degree of accuracy how they're going to react to certain situations. That's how well we know them, and I believe the psalmist is telling us that's how well God knows us. So into this fearful and wonderful condition of being a human being, God is going to send God's own Son, and that is what we're waiting for as we get into the Advent season. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the incarnation of Christ, for giving us the gift of the Messiah, for giving us the Christ who brings light into the world, your light into a world that desperately needs it. Help us to share that light with others this week. In Christ's name, amen.